Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Smiling faces, a couple of responses. I'm glad you want me to have a good morning also. Thank you. Okay, well, I heard once a preaching professor actually said, you should never start your sermon with insulting your church. So sorry for doing that, but it was awkward. And I heard a pastor that I was under for a while. He would say, good morning, church. Was that all you got? Come on. Come on. Where's it? All right. All right. Okay. Anyway, I don't need to be wasting time with side stories because there's a lot to talk about this morning. Um, If you've been with us, um, and if you've not been with us, I'll try to catch you up. But if you've been with us, you know that we've been working through, starting the summer, who we are, starting in the fall, what we do. It's so important that we see it in that order because what we do flows out of who we are. And if we get it backwards, if we think we become something because of what we do, then we're not talking about Christianity. It's clear in Scripture that the gospel is something that transforms us, makes us a new creation, and from that, we do certain things. And so we're really really laying out for us as a church, as the crossing, what our convictions are. That's what we titled this series What are our convictions? What do we believe? And then what do we do about it? And so we've been we've been working through that. Jared has been preaching. Uh, He's talked about how we are all victims, if you want to call it that, of gospel transformation. It's certainly not a victim where we find liberation in the gospel, but it's something that has captured our hearts, transformed us, and God has moved in us in a way that He's made us something better, something greater for His glory and for our good. And, and it is a hope that we have that all people could experience that transformation. And so he's, he's walked us through what gospel transformation looks like. We've talked about doctrine, what we believe as the crossing church. Both close-handed things, you have to believe this to be a Christian, and some open-handed things. This is what we believe as the crossing. It's not what we're holding you guys to believe, but you need to be aware of all that we believe. And then we also talked about last time we gathered what it means to gather as a church, to worship on a Sunday morning. And so all of those sermons are available online. If you don't have the link to that, we can get you that. Um, I encourage you to listen to them if you missed them. I encourage you to listen to them if you were here for them. We need to be reminded of who we are and what we're doing. This morning we're going to talk about the conviction of being the church scattered and what that looks like. And so subtitled, we are a gospel people. So You're going to get tired of hearing the word gospel this morning, probably. We are gospel people, and so we live with gospel fluency within gospel rhythms. And we're going to break down what that means, and we're going to look at Scripture because we hold Scripture high. Uh, We see it as the final authority of all things. We need to see who we are in Scripture. We need to see who God is in Scripture. In fact, there's a list of questions you should ask when you read Scripture, and we encourage you to ask these questions because it's really a question of theology. Who is God? That is theology. What has he done? That is, if you like big words, a soteriology. That is a Christology, which is the word Christ and ology put together. Who are we? That is ecclesiology. That is the word for church, ecclesia, ecclesiology. And then what do we do? That's our missiology. We're on mission. What is our mission? And so that's what we're talking about today. We're going to see what it looks like to live every single day as if we believe God is who he says he is, as if we believe he's done what he said he's done, as if we believe we are the church, and we're going to walk through very practically what we do 
as the church, apart from a Sunday morning gathering. And so it's going to take a while to get it. And so I, like there's a section at the end that it's really a whole other sermon, but we're going to go quickly. I'm going to try to talk fast. So, we'd, so go listen to it again. And also these rhythms is what we're calling them. It, we're going to look at that based on what we've gotten from Soma, um, a, a church that is very influential in this missional community, very informa- uh, informational um, in all that we're doing. And so we've identified with them in a lot of ways, and we're going to connect with them, use their resources in a lot of ways. In fact, that's where Jared is right now. He's at Soma School in Tacoma. Lucky, right? All right. Okay, so that's cheese. Okay, so. All right. Um, if you've not been a part of a sermon that I've preached before, I, I think I'm different. People tell me I'm different. Um, so there's going to be a lot of those okay-so jokes and things like that. Just feel free to laugh because it makes me feel really good that I make people laugh and you think I'm awesome and hilarious. And it's really, at the end of the day, all about how I feel. And so hopefully you pick up on the sarcasm and all of that. Okay. Now, in order to be a gospel people, we have to see what the gospel is. We've we've walked through it a lot, um, and so we're not going to walk through it in its entirety from creation to a final restoration, but it is imperative that if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you know that. You need to be able to articulate that. And if you're going to be a part of a church that is missional, you need to not only know it, but believe it's true. And so um, we, we end up getting into these situations. The biggest frustration in my life as a human and my life as a minister is that we have this, this insatiable desire for knowledge and a very pathetic track record of application. We, we, we want to know more about the gospel, but we're so bad at actually believing it and actually applying it to our lives. And it's because we're so, we're so dependent on the work of the gospel. We need each other. We need family we need what we're trying to accomplish in DNA, this, this, this discipleship, this nurturing, this accountability that's there. We need that. That's why we're doing it. We need missional community. We need to be reminded of the mission. We need to observe the culture. We need to see ourselves as this identity of a family of missionary servants. Those things are necessary. That's why we're doing them. We're stripping away the unnecessary things and focusing hardcore, all in on the necessary things. And all of this is motivated by the gospel. We've been changed. We're not who we used to be. We now have a a mission because we're a new people. And this mission is laid out for us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Hopefully it's become a familiar passage if it wasn't already. Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The imperative, make disciples. So you're going to go about life. You're going to go places. You're going to do things. And you need to make disciples. So what is making disciples? Well, it's going to look a lot like baptizing them and, and, and also Teaching them what the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is. What is this idea? What is this image? What is this image we're being baptized into? And then teach them what I've taught you. Teach them to observe these things. So it looks a lot like what Jesus did with his 
disciples. Oh, it's all making connections. They're being made everywhere. There, there are, there, there is a calling on all of us, every individual, to be a minister of reconciliation as soon as you experience a reconciled relationship with God. We've been separated by our sin. He's restored relationship. He's continuing to restore us to the image we were created in. So you now know the gospel just as good as anyone who's been saved. There's not any big theological person. There's not, it's, there's not me or Scott or Jared who has experienced salvation in a different way. Different stories, different ways it happened, a greater knowledge maybe, but the experience is yours if you're a Christian so you can tell people about it. That's why you've experienced it, so that God can use you to save others. And that doesn't just doesn't come into play just on a Sunday morning. That's every day, every moment of every day. So the question is, how do we do that in Monroe? in 2014, because we're not first century Middle East like Jesus was with his disciples. We need to contextualize it some, but the mission's the same. God is the same. The message is the same. And I can tell you it's not going to be doing some mission work projects. It's not going to be feeding the orphans or caring for the widows. It's not going to be those things, but those things are evidence of your faith. That's what James is saying. He's saying, You do these good works because you've been saved. You have faith. You believe the gospel, and so you do what the gospel compels you to do. And we we are to do those things, but that is not making a disciple. It It doesn't make a disciple to feed a homeless person. What makes a disciple is to invite the homeless person into your life for him to see you live out the gospel as Jesus' disciples watched him live out truth. And so we should invite lost people into our lives. We should invite those who aren't Christians into our life to love them, to serve them, to care for them, and then go feed homeless people with them. So they're witnessing, just as Christ went and he healed the sick. The disciples witnessed this. They experienced it, and and maybe the sick were healed and joined and became disciples. But our, our goal is not to just do good things. It's to make disciples. That is the mission laid out for us in Scripture. And Christ has done all that's necessary to demonstrate what it looks like to make a disciple. But first, we have to believe the gospel ourselves. And unfortunately, I think we struggle with that a lot. And we're called to be the church on mission for God and and glorify Him with all of our life. But even, even in talking about it, even in doing missional community, even in doing DNA, we so easily slip into these patterns of it's about Sunday morning. Yeah, church is Sunday morning. It's just, we're okay with that. We don't want it to change, really. We, we're at war against ourselves, fighting it. But it's all that matters. The church scattered is the people of the church every day in the rhythms of life, living out the gospel like we actually believe it. All right, so this isn't some high and lofty expectation placed on you as a heavy burden on top of your already busy life. This is hopefully a call for everyone who claims Christ to live every moment of every day like they believe the gospel in every moment of every day. Can we, can we do that? It feels like a burden, but it's not. It's freedom. When we experience it, it's freedom. And it's so that the lost can know this God that 
you have found hope in, that I have found hope in. But if we don't believe that we've found hope in him, if we don't believe he's better than the other things in the world, if we don't believe that he is greater than all our anxieties and all our fears, then how are we going to disciple anyone to believe that's true? Answer, you're not. We have to believe the gospel. It transforms us and motivates us to live it out. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. You can turn there. It'll also be on the screen. This is laid out beautifully for us, what it looks like um, to be called by God and then to live out this gospel calling as the church scattered. It shouldn't shouldn't seem strange or abnormal uh, for us to live with gospel intentionality because we are gospel people. We've been saved by gospel. We've been given gospel identities. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. So we have to understand before we read this is that the church is not an event. It's everyday family because we've been adopted by God. And the mission is not an event. It's everyday lifestyle lived out in the context of our culture. Church is not an event. Mission is not an event. We're family and we live our lives as the people of God. First Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race. Sorry, this is verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we were once nobodies. We were without hope, without mercy, and God being great in mercy, God being completely and totally outstandingly gracious has brought us into the family. And not only has he brought us into the family, but he's commissioned us to go get more to bring back to the family. He has done something beyond what any of us can imagine, beyond what any of us can accomplish, yet we spend every day trying to accomplish it. And, and he's called us specifically to be set apart, a holy nation, set apart from the culture, not in arrogance, but because he has chosen us to be set apart to the point that we are sojourners. That is a, a, a temporary wandering visitor, okay? I mean, we're aliens to this land. That is, that's because we're no longer who we are. And, and to help you understand it, maybe you can see it like, Um, we've settled into the world that we call our home and somehow, mysteriously, supernaturally, we've been changed into a non-human being. So everything we do now is different than the other human beings because we're not a human being anymore. You still are. Don't get freaked out. We're not teaching that here. (laughs) But there's something different. And it should look like Something's different when you live your life. 
But if we're honest, it's not. If we're honest, we've made our home here, and we, we learn to live like the world lives. We learn to work like the world lurks, lurks, works. We talk like they talk. We value what they value. We fear what they fear. We're, we have anxieties about what they're anxious about. In every way, we've just become a part of the world, in the world. But we've been called out to be sojourners, to be visitors, to live like this isn't my home. I have an eternal perspective. But when we focus on what's here Yes, you're going to have fears. You're going to have anxieties. When we see beyond this, there's something more to live for. There's something beyond all of this. We find freedom from this world because it's not our home. God created us in His image, perfectly set apart. We have destroyed that in sin, fallen from that, and and He's done the work to save us back to Him, and we resist it. Always, constantly. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the gospel. And repentance, we have to believe and repent. We can't continue in our sin, though we continue in the world. And unfortunately, we're going to be plagued with sin until we leave the world. But we repent. We repent. We repent. And repentance isn't showing up on Sunday morning and feeling bad about the sinful week you have. Repentance is seeing God is better than your sin. God has done the work to save you from your sin. You're not the addict that you think you are. You're not the hateful person you think you are. You're not angry. You're not depressed. You're not these things. You've been called from that. You've been saved from that. God has done the work to save you from it. So every time you slip back down into it, all you're doing is saying, no, you haven't. That wasn't enough. But you've been freed from that. This is true. Do we believe it's true? It's not just something the preacher says on Sunday morning. It's true. This actually happened. Jesus actually died. He actually and literally, physically, spiritually freed you from sin forever. Do we believe it's true? Do we believe it? We have to believe it. It's our only hope. But many of us are going to leave here today and get right back into the world. It's going to happen for a lot of us. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need each other. The church, family, holding each other to believe this is true and finding freedom in it. It's beautiful. God is for us. He's gracious. You don't have to earn any of it. He freely gives it to you and your response is this joyful, free obedience because you find more joy there. It's it's amazing when we believe it. But we have to believe it. And we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. To the point that even those who would call us evildoers, even those who would be against us, are glorifying God. Because they see the difference. They see that we're not like the world. But not in arrogancy. In a loving way, in a serving way as missionaries to the world. Peter wasn't the only one to emphasize this. 1 John chapter 2 on the screen, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, 
but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And Matthew 12, 24 through 26. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You can, listen, and hear this carefully, you can live your life without Jesus and find good things in the world. You cannot be a Christian and have a happy marriage. You cannot be a Christian and make a lot of money and be very comfortable. You cannot be a Christian and, and enjoy good food and, and good activities and fun things in life. That's definitely possible. And if you're under the impression that it wasn't, it's just not true. You can. But you will never experience the fullness of life. Because all of those things, all the good tasting food, all the pleasures of the world non-sinful pleasures of the world are meant to be glorifying to God, meant to be worshipful to God. When you enjoy good food, the taste, the feeling, the sound of it cooking, the the smell of it filling the room, the, the joy it brings around the dinner table, all that comes with good food is meant to be a worshipful experience to God. Everything about enjoying life is meant to be a worshipful experience to God. So without Christ, you cannot fully Enjoy those things. But it can be good until you die because all the things in the world pass away. It ends. It's over with at some point. But with God, you abide forever in those joys. I don't know all about what heaven's going to look like, but I know there's going to be good food and probably football and skiing or whatever you like doing. I figure there's a lot of skiers in here since where we live. So much mountaintop snow. You're going to do all of those. Some of you were probably just thinking water skiing because you aren't a mountaintop snow. Some of those things are going to be in heaven for sure, but all of those things, everything that's in heaven will be praise to God. It'll be worship to God. So when we say we're going to worship God forever, we're not saying we're going to stand and sing hymns for all of eternity, which as a child, I was terrified of heaven. I don't want to go there, Mom. Okay, it's going to be so much better than everything we can imagine because it's stripped away from the sin that's in this world, the things that cripple us, the things that as soon as we walk out of these doors or maybe even right now are distracting you and drawing you or causing anxiety. I mean, do we see it? It's clear. You should not be overwhelmed by Ebola. It should not be something that consumes you in fear. It consumes the world for good reason. They have no hope. But when you have Christ, you see no matter what, no matter who gets Ebola, we have Jesus forever to enjoy, forever, beyond anything enjoyable in this world. Forever. The destruction of a tornado coming through our town is devastating. Electricity being out, everything in the freezer going bad is devastating. People being homeless is devastating. But it's not hopeless for the Christians. It is hopeless for those without Christ. That's why we carry this message. That's why we live as missionaries. We need to see how to do this practically. And so we're going to talk about two things, gospel rhythms and gospel fluency. And so I want you to 
try to gather as much as you can from this. There will be more resources in the future um, about gospel fluency and about gospel rhythms. I don't know what they're going to look like, whether we'll talk through them in missional community or what, but this is, this is hopefully going to be very practical for you. This is going to hopefully be very easy for you to, to live out. But I, what I don't want is for you to hear me say these things and think, okay, that's what I need to do to be a good Christian. Because that's the opposite. We need to believe we're saved and then allow this to flow from that, all right? So gospel fluency is hopefully, you know what the word fluent means. It's exactly what it sounds like, fluent in the gospel. So example, I am a, a Christian, American, English-speaking person, born and raised, Ball City, that's Bozier for all you non-thugs, <laughs> Bozier City, Louisiana, north side, all right, that's enough. I was... Raised in an English-speaking home, I know English really well. You should be impressed. I speak English almost flawlessly. I'm just kidding. I have a lot of flaws. I end in prepositions a lot. I don't know why I, what, that, what I do that for. Okay. Um, I dream in English. I think in English. I process things in English. When I hear people speak English, I know that it's English. When I hear people not speaking English, I know that it's not English. You guys follow me? Why? Because I am an English-speaking American. I'm fluent in the English language. I know it really well. So if I were to move to Malawi, Africa, I chose Malawi because I like it. It's a nice J-shaped country, southwest, big old lake there, lots of freshwater fish, beautiful. In Malawi, Africa, I'm still fluent in English. I speak English in Malawi, even though that's not their language, it's mine. So everything they say, I'm trying to learn Chichewa, that's the language they speak in Malawi. Zikomo, that's a word they use for almost everything. Thank you, hello, goodbye, it was good seeing you, you smell nice. Zikomo. In Africa, in Malawi, Africa, I'm there and I'm learning their culture, I'm experiencing the African life, I'm figuring out what it means to be in this culture, but I'm still very much fluent in English, not even a little bit fluent in Chichewa, even though I know that one word that's very helpful. I am not fluent in Chichewa. I'm fluent in English. So everything is processed in English. When I hear things, I have to process it and filter it through English. When I see things, I have to think like an American sees things and then realize their culture sees it a little differently. So don't be creeped out when that guy tries to hold your hand because guys just hold hands there. This is what they do. Everything's filtered through who I am because I'm an English-speaking American. Although I'm in Malawi, Africa. Are you following the analogy? Okay, that's enough then. If we're going to claim to believe the gospel, to be fluent in the gospel, then we need to process everything through the gospel. Though we're in this culture, we are sojourners. We are not natives here. This is not our home. We are foreigners to this land. So we process everything through who we are in the image of God. Father, we're family, son, we're servants, spirit. We've been sent as missionaries to this land to carry good news. We had to stop the analogy with Africa because I would have to eventually say all Africans need to speak English and learn my culture. That's not what I'm saying. But for this culture, that is the hope that they would know Christ like we know Christ, that they would be conformed into his image like we're being conformed into his image that they could too become fluent in the gospel, transform, made a new creation to live here 
like we live here as sojourners. That is the church scattered. And that doesn't mean you have to go and buy a bunch of Jesus t-shirts that's Reese's logo, but it says Jesus instead, or wear what would Jesus do bracelets, or, or join a bunch of Bible studies, or get your kids in Awanas, or whatever it is. You don't have to Christianize your life to be a foreigner. In fact, you should continue in the rhythms of the world apart from sin, demonstrating the gospel. None of those things are bad. If you have that shirt, wear it. It's fine. I'm not going to wear it just because I think it's weird. None of those things are bad. But they're not what we're doing at the crossing. We're trying to equip God's people to be ministers of reconciliation, to live every single day in the rhythms of life with the gospel fluency that we're talking about here. That is our calling. That is our hope. And so we're not trying to build a mega church. In fact, mega church works kind of in this culture, the Bible Belt, as far as reaching people. But we see that the culture's shifting. The culture's changing. It's not going to keep working. We need to learn biblically what works in every culture. There's not a culture you go to that you're not going to find rhythms of life. There's not a culture you go to that you're not going to see that they have a language, that they have customs, that they have beliefs, that they have family. Everybody connects to this. Everyone needs the gospel. It applies to everyone. There's no need to add a bunch of stuff to it and build something that can't be multiplied. We're all about multiplication. We're DNA groups that will branch and grow to different DNA groups. We're missional communities that will plant new missional communities. We're a church plant that will hopefully plant churches because it should multiply like that in a way that is doable in every culture. Because we're called by Jesus to reach the nations. Does that make sense? It hopefully makes a lot of sense because it cannot be any more beautiful and clear and, and work the way it should work. I do this for rhythms. I don't know why. Rhythms should be this. Given the rhythms of culture. <clears throat> Romans 12. Verse 1, um, you're, not, you're not being asked to rearrange your life for this. Uh, you're, you're asked to radically reorient your life. Okay, so this isn't a, this isn't a um, methodological shift. It's a theological shift. You're not just changing your position, but you're changing your direction. This is a foundational thing. We, we're, we're not doing this. We're doing this, yes but it's not that. It's we are no longer being this. We're now being this. So now that we're this, we do these things. Cannot be emphasized enough. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good, acceptable, and perfect? So this, again, is a calling for us to buy all into this. We are not to be in this world, conformed to this world. We're to be set apart because we've been transformed by the renewing of our mind. And it's an ongoing thing. The renewing of your mind will continue. The transformation will continue until we get to finally be with Jesus. But... In order to know God well, to know His will, you have to study His Word and you have to believe the Gospel. And when we look at our culture, we contextualize this 
And, and so we're going to use six rhythms. And these six rhythms are the same ones that Selma uses. Story, listen, eat, celebrate, bless, and recreate. Um, that C is capitalized on purpose. So it's, you can also say recreate, and we'll talk about why that is. Um, I'm going to kind of briefly go through what these things are, and then we will um, eventually walk through them in more depth. Um, but I, I hope that you can see that all of this is doable in Monroe, in West Monroe, in Sterlington. All of this is doable in any culture because these are normal, natural, re regular, everyday rhythms of life that we are in. You're in these rhythms. So all you have to do is be in these rhythms with gospel fluency. It's not start doing all these things. It's continue to do what you're doing with gospel fluency. So, um, story. Everyone has a story. Everyone is forming a story. Everyone is a part of a story. You're part of your parents' story. You're part of your city's story, your neighborhood story. You're part of things that are happening in this world, and, and absolutely every person everywhere is a part of the gospel story. Everyone is a part of it. So we have to know the gospel story. We have to know how they're a part of it, and we need to learn their story. So we spend a lot of time learning each other's stories. What is your life about? How many siblings do you have? What experiences have you had? When did you come to know that Christ is our Savior? How are you continuing to experience Him in your life? What is God doing now that shows that He's still gracious, that He's still saving and doing a work in you to sanctify you? What is it in your life right now? Because that is your continued story. And so when we get to know other people and we hear their life and their stories and we see their weaknesses and their failures as a church as we get to know each other better we can point each other to the gospel hey here's where you where you're not believing you're failing to see that god is your father and it's because you've had these daddy issues growing up or you're you're failing to see god as good and that's why you're dealing with this addiction that you have or you're failing to see that that you don't have to to find and, and seek and work for God's approval because you're failing to believe He's gracious. He gives it to you freely. You're His. So stop working for it. Just be a Christian. You don't have to do Christianity. You do Christianity when you are a Christian because that's how it works. Whatever it is, maybe you're covered in fear or anxiety because you're failing to see God is greater than the situation. In a lot of ways, we fail to believe the gospel, and that's exposed when we share our stories. And so we share the past stories, we share the present stories, and as missionaries to our culture, we need to know our culture's story. So let's talk about Monroe. It's shaped by something. It's, it's got idols. It's got um, doors that are open for the gospel, doors that are closed to the gospel. It's got people who are successful. It's got people who are impoverished. Uh, there's a lot of places the gospel needs to fill the gaps. It needs to correct the lies. It needs to successfully complete the story of Monroe. That's the restoration we're hopeful for. And so when we talk about our city, we need to see that there, there are a lot of false converts in Monroe. There are a lot of people claiming to be a Christian and they're not. And we know that because there's bad fruit or there's no fruit. It's just a, a nominal thing. They just call themselves that because that's what you do in Monroe. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. That's just what people say. No one, there's a lot who don't really know what it means. That should burden us. That's something about the story of Monroe that should be a burden to us 
as believers who desperately want to see our God glorified. There's a lot of people professing his name and slandering with their lifestyles. And that is an issue. And there's also um, this facade that we think we have to put up with this fake it till you make it mentality that we see in Monroe. These people who smile when they're out in public but cry when they're home alone. It's people who are denying their true feelings and emotions because that's how they were raised in this culture. That's a story of our culture. There's also the idol of high school football. I don't know if you, I don't know if you knew that. Especially in West Monroe. Let's just say it. Let's just get it out there. West Monroe worships their high school football team, and it's pathetic. It's sad, isn't it? I'm a, no offense to the big Rebel fans. Also, their name's Rebels. But let's, let's just be real. That's the story of our culture. We worship the idol of football, not just high school football, but the New Orleans Saints or the LSU Tigers or the Dallas Cowboys if you go too far west. So there's a lot going on in Monroe. There's a lot going on in, our, in the story of Monroe that we need to, as missionaries, take note of and, and figure out how do we address these things with the gospel and also be cautious not to, to become a part of it. Because we're repenting of sin, though we're still in the culture. It's okay to go to a high school football game. It's not okay to cry after when they lose. Just saying. I've been there. Uh, also, we see in Monroe that I-20, in some, in some ways the river, is a divisive thing for, for not only race, but economic status. And, and this weird sense of West Monroe is better than Monroe, although we have less stuff. I don't know what that's about. So there's these battles that go on with reputation and, and patriotism to high schools and, and these idols that are being worshipped everywhere. And in a lot of ways, we just slide right in there. We worship the gods of the culture as well. And, and that's something we need to assess in our hearts. It's something we need to address as a church so that we can be gospel-fluent people in a culture and not leave the culture. We're not saying let's create our own football leagues where we don't worship God. I mean, we don't worship football, we worship God. Maybe that needs to happen. That's not a bad thing necessarily. But it, wouldn't it be better if we got involved with West Monroe High School and we supported their football team and we got to build relationships with the people who love their football team and we live life with them and made disciples of Christ of them. Of Christ of them, that works. And we work to love them and serve them and care for them so that they could see God is so much better than high school football. And, and hopefully they don't listen to the sermon where I just called it pathetic. We need to be in the culture. We don't need to remove ourselves from it. So we need to learn the story. And then listen. Everyone is listening to someone or something. Everyone gets their information somewhere. Wikipedia, not a good place, but... Very reliable in some ways. It's always there. That's the only way it's reliable. There are a lot of places we get information. There's a lot of things that feed our worldview, our way of thinking, our way of doing things. So we need to listen to each other to make sure we're lining up with Scripture. We need to listen to ourselves to make sure we're believing the gospel. We need to listen to God as He leads us and guides us. He's given us His Word. Everything we need is in there. And He still leads us and He still guides us. And we need to listen to the culture as they tell us what they believe, as they tell us where they fail to believe the gospel, as they are telling us where they're desperate for hope and unable to find it. As missionaries, we need to listen, and we should be listening constantly 
to the stories that our culture tells us and showing them where they need to believe the gospel. Bless. God desires to bless His people. He desires to bless everyone through Jesus. He desires to restore all things through Jesus. And He has blessed us in so many ways. You have gifts, you have abilities, you have salvation, you have breath in your lungs. Everyone, whether Christian or not, has been blessed by God with life. We breathe, we live, we continue. We have blessings of resource. We have blessings of skills. Jesse is incredible at... Video games. Growing a beard. I don't know how you're going to use that one. He can use his gifts of video gaming to... This is an on-the-spot illustration. Use his gift of video gaming to go and play video games with people who need the gospel. He doesn't have to abandon video games because people think it's not adult-like. He can work in that rhythm... And bless people with his incredible video gaming skills. Teach them the tricks of the trade. I don't know anything about video games. But we have been blessed by God so that we can bless others. So that we can bless others so that they see blessings come from God. We bless others with our lives, our skills, our abilities, our gifts, our resources in outrageous ways because we've been blessed in outrageous ways. If God has given you things, it's not for you to hoard, though he wants you to enjoy life. It's for you to bless others. So I'm talking like craziness, like, okay, you're homeless? Well, I have an extra room. Why don't you move in? Or you need a car? Well, we have three cars and only two people that drive. I don't know why we have three cars, but you can have one. Crazy, right? We don't have three cars. I don't know why. I'm just using first person, even though it's not talking about it. You... Need your lawn mowed because it's a forest and you have a bum knee. Well, I have incredible lawn mowing skills, so I'm on it. I'll mow your lawn. You know what? I have a zero turn, so I'll just mow it every day forever. That's maybe ridiculous, but over-the-top blessing people. When your waitress does a horrible job serving you, brings you the wrong food, spills a drink on your lap, cusses in front of you, asks if she can take a cigarette break, whatever. These are all things that have actually happened to me. Whatever it is, bless her with an outrageous tip anyway. What? You don't do that because then you're just encouraging bad behavior. Well, that's not what God has done for you. That God has shown you grace that you don't deserve. That is grace. God has blessed you and you've earned none of it. Even if you can somehow reason out that I worked hard to get my degree, I worked hard to earn this money, You are given your brains by God. You are given your breath by God. He has blessed you with everything that you are. There's nothing you have, nothing you've earned, nothing about you that is not a blessing from God. So use all of you to bless others so God would be glorified, so the lost would be saved, so you could find freedom in life. That is what it means to live in the rhythm of blessing. And everybody likes to be blessed. I've never met a person that says, please don't bless me. I don't like it. There's some people who are resistant to you doing good things for them because they just feel like you're going to want something back. But when you keep doing it and you don't want anything back, that's what grace is. Eating, personal favorite. Everyone eats. We live in a culture that food is celebrated in a lot of ways. We have holidays about food, okay? When you say Thanksgiving, people think turkey. They don't think I'm thankful for. It's a secondary thought. 
Food is a big deal in our culture, and we should eat food every day. Unless you're fasting, it's a different thing. Eat food every day, and most of you probably do. Anyone that doesn't? You should eat food two, three, four, five times a day. Six. Eat often, and when you eat food, enjoy it to the glory of God. Every meal, so if there's, there's three days or three meals a day for you, each of those is an opportunity to, to worship God. Each of those is an opportunity to, to praise God for His provision. Your food is a part of your, the rhythms of your life. Food in our culture is a part of rhythms of the life. So we join in the rhythms of life and we eat food to the glory of God. And we see it all throughout Scripture. God uses food in the garden. God uses food in the Passover meal. God uses food in, in uh, feeding the, the 5,000. God uses food in communion. God uses food. It's a special, significant thing, symbolic in many ways, but it's also meant for our enjoyment because God is gracious and He's blessed us with food. And so bless others with food. Invite people to your table. Jesus was known as a, someone who hung out with sinners because He was having meals with sinners. We should have lost people to our house, eating at our table. The table is an intimate place. It's, it's somewhere that, that just your family eats at. So when you invite someone into that, it's special. They're going to be vulnerable. They're going to open up. They're going to share with you stories. You can listen to their stories. You can celebrate with them. And that's our next one. But as missionaries, we eat with unbelievers as Christ did. And we see that God uses a normal rhythm of life to, uh, to save. He uses a normal rhythm of life to make disciples. All right, so celebrate. Everyone celebrates birthdays, holidays, anniversaries, athletic championships, academic achievements, occupational achievements. We celebrate a lot of things. We enjoy celebrating. Anybody that doesn't like to celebrate? One person. I'm just kidding. No one raised their hand. We like celebration, and so we should celebrate. And, and people should say about the Crossing Church, man, those guys know how to party. That should be something that comes out of mouths, okay? We need to hear that because we have something worth celebrating more than anything else. And so we should have birthday parties and do big birthday parties. We had a pumpkin carving party at our Monroe MC uh, this last Wednesday, and, and beautiful things happened. Neighborhood kids came over, cut up pumpkins in our yard, but also some families came and had an opportunity to meet a guy named Chris who just moved in, and, and Chris... Because we were having a party, he felt comfortable bringing his kids over and carving pumpkins in our driveway. And so we just talked, and I was able to listen to him share his story and very normal rhythm things in life. I'm learning Chris, and he, and he began to feel comfortable, and he opened up to me about his wife who three years ago was diagnosed with uh, MS. And, and so they're struggling to work through uh, the details of adjusting their life to that and and the emotional sadness that she's in and she, she's not, she doesn't like coming out in public. She doesn't like to go over and meet people. So we talked about just having them over with just me and Amelia to have dinner and, and he was excited about that, that people are reaching out for him because he's a person who has a story, who enjoys celebrating, that wants to be blessed because that is a normal, natural, everyday rhythm of life and that is all that we're, we're going to do. That is what the church does as missionaries, all to the glory of God. And so we celebrate better than anybody and we recognize what our, our culture celebrates and we join in. Our culture celebrates a lot of things. We have Mardi Gras. We have a Black History Parade 
I've never been to one, but I've been in traffic and thought, man, I wish they weren't doing this. There's traffic. That's not okay. We need to repent of those things and see we join the celebrations of our culture apart from sin. Please hear me say that. Repenting of sin, joining the celebrations in order that they could see a gracious God who gives all blessings. And we could party and not get wasted and wake up in a field missing your shoe wondering what happened last night. That's not a party. That's something crazy nobody should ever want. Celebration is seeing God for the goodness, the, the, the blessing, the greatness that He has and He offers. All right, and then last one. We are people who recreate or recreate. And so you may not, this, you may not get this fully, but we'll try to walk through it. Resting and working and productivity is a part of life. So we're not saying you have to be creative when we say create, but recreate is a combination of rest and create. So we are people who recreate. We play, we work. Everybody wants to be productive. Everybody wants to rest. But unfortunately, apart from the gospel, we're restless in our work and and we're laborsome in our rest. And so understanding the gospel can free us from those things and we can work to the glory of God and we can rest to the glory of God and we can have fun to the glory of God. So we should be playing, we should be working, we should be resting all for God's glory so that people can be saved. All right, so there's, those are our rhythms. Um, we recreate, we party, and we engage the lost so that they can be saved, all a part of the natural things of life and, and for the joy of salvation so that God could be glorified. We did it. I was exhausted. Hope you were able to hang there. So we are going to take communion. We are going to sing songs. But I want you to to understand what we've said as we leave this place. We're still the church when we leave. We're going to take communion. Scott's going to lead that. He's going to lead us in worship. We're going to praise our God for the gospel. We're going to praise Him for, for He has saved us and enabled us to bring this gospel to others. And so... Uh, As we do these things, remember the gospel, repent of your sin, and believe. And then let's get to work because of who we are. Let's identify the rhythms and get to work for God's glory and for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for how good you are. Lord, I pray that uh, though this was a lot of information, that we would take time and process it, that we'd see the truth, that we'd we'd look to Scripture as our final authority that uh, You would strip us of our selfishness, our, our sinful desires so that we could see You glorified, Lord. Help us to bless others. Help us to celebrate with others. Help us to see the rhythms of our culture and get involved in a way that shines gospel light into a very dark world. God, be glorified in all that we are. We praise You. We worship You. In Jesus' name, amen.